0: For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 Dear God, I thank you that I don't have to live in worry or fear, because you are with me everywhere I go, now and always. I know that there has never been a time when I was abandoned or alone, a time when you weren't watching over me faithfully protecting me and lovingly providing for me. When storms arise today, I will choose to remember that the wind and the waves obey you. You speak peace to them, and you speak peace to me. Your perfect peace sinks down deep to the very deepest part of me. You have set me free from all fear, free from all doubt, free from all worry. For anxiety. You have given me a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because of you I can stand strong no matter what comes my way. I can love wisely and well. I can think clearly. I can receive all that you have to give me. I can trust you completely. I can triumph over the enemy. His tactics are useless against me. Lord, you have exposed him, exposed his lies, exposed his schemes, and you have defeated him. You have given me the victory. I rejoice in you. I thank you and I praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay tuned. To immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told, from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible.
1: Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union
2: Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, your host for Heroes in the Bible. If you've been enjoying this series, please write a review and let me know how this podcast has impacted your life. Welcome to the Epic Adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. In this story, David is recovering from his moral failures in the last episode. He is making peace with God and finding purpose in the wilderness. This episode features a less frenetic David, He is living the dream of many, simply living off the land and enjoying the quiet solitude of the wild. But there is a long-standing truth that is unavoidable for our hero. Those with magnetic personalities are bound to attract people. In this episode, David is joined by a ragtag group of outcasts and misfits. People find refuge under the strong wing of God's chosen hero. It is not good for people to be alone, and a charismatic and compelling leader like David could never stay hidden for long. This episode will leave us with less questions than the last episode and instead invite us into a deep sigh of relief. David isn't a madman. He has a clear mind and refined purpose, even in the midst of harsh circumstances. Saul, however, seems more unhinged than ever, if that's even possible. We will begin this episode with a prelude, another flash forward to Jesus. Just like David, it is impossible for Jesus to remain hidden. People flock to him, and from the flock a few are chosen to be his disciples. What type of person is chosen by God's chosen hero? Are they noble warriors, elite scholars, and influential leaders? The people Christ chooses may surprise you. Let's listen and learn about the hearts of God's shepherds in episode 10, an Army of Outcasts, Part One.
3: This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. Right Rug Flooring.
6: Prelude to Chapter 10 Jesus took his followers up to a mountain. The crowd followed them and remained at the bottom. Jesus paused and looked out of the sea of faces. He did not see what others saw. He saw sheep that were without a shepherd. They needed guidance. They needed to be empowered and enlivened by God's Spirit. There were a few followers beside him. He looked at them and pointed down at the crowd.
1: Look at it then. The harvest is plentiful. There is no shortage of people longing for hope. Do not pray for the people to come, for they are already among you. Pray for the laborers. Pray for men and women to rise up and work in the field. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few.
6: With those words, Jesus appointed 12 men to be his apostles, chosen men that would follow Jesus everywhere. These men were not chosen for their wisdom, influence, or skill. In many ways, they were outcasts. Each of them had gifts, and each of them had flaws. They were imperfect vessels chosen by God to do mighty works. God chose them for their hearts, but also their weakness. For in their weakness god is shown to be strong jesus's first call to the 12 was for them to be with him their closeness to jesus would prove to be the source of their strength moments sitting by the campfire sharing stories and laughing would prove to be useful they would learn to be with god before doing anything for god so they too would not grow prideful like the pharisees out of that relationship jesus would send them out to preach heal and cast out demons in his name. The disciples were empowered by Jesus, and their strength grew day by day. Jesus overlooked the crowd below. He knew many would eventually turn on him.
1: He turned to the twelve and said, Whoever desires to come after me must first pick up his cross and follow me. Whoever holds his life too dear to lay it down will lose his life. However, whoever loses his life for my sake will truly find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the world's possessions, but loses his own soul?
6: Jesus called his disciples to a higher standard than the Pharisees or scribes. He called them to deny themselves instead of elevating themselves. He did not call them to religious repetition or vain practices. He called them to lay down their lives, money, and convenience, so that others may thrive. Jesus would model this himself. He would sacrifice everything so that people could be renewed. Chapter 10. An Army of Outcasts. Part 1. The early evening skies looked as if they were bursting into flames. David looked at the clouds surrounding the hills. They were dark in shape like plumes of smoke, rising from the fire like sunset. The horizon was intermixed with bright orange and dark gray, swirling together like smoke and wildfire. David sat outside his cave, listening to the evening breeze whistle through the canyons. He closed his eyes and listened for the voice of God. Since retreating from Gath, he had made a home for himself in the caves of Adullam. The caves were not too far from the valley where he slew the giant Goliath. The memories of that victory raced in David's mind. He remembered God's faithfulness to him. The caves were his refuge from the weather and spies of Saul. However, the Lord was the refuge and hiding place for his soul. In those caves, David reset his gaze on the God of all creation. He restored his heart into a posture of humility and sang a new song of repentance and reliance to him.
7: Have mercy on me, o God. Have mercy on me. When you, my soul, takes
1: refuge
7: in the shadow of your wings. I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to the God who fulfills His purpose for me. You will descend
8: from the heavens to save me. You will put to shame those who trample over me.
7: So long you, O God, will send out your steadfast love and faithfulness.
8: My soul is in the midst of the lions,
7: and I lie down amid fiery beasts. Their teeth are spears in heaven, and their tongues are sharp swords seeking to slay mine. Yet you are exalted, O God above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth.
6: David's song was like a sweet-smelling aroma to God. The Lord received his cries and embraced his chosen hero like a father would his wounded son. The young shepherd could feel the refreshing presence of his God. He looked to the horizon and lifted his hands in praise. Tears streamed down his cheeks and a smile came across his face. David knew the Lord would provide for him, and he had no reason to doubt or fear. He knew that his future was in the hands of his God. The sun finally set, and bright colors of sunset faded, giving way to the stars. David lay beside the fire, feeling the strength of God's Spirit resting beside him. He was ready for whatever may come. The next morning... David walked down to the stream and bathed. He splashed the cool water over his face and breathed in deeply. He gathered wood and sticks for his fire and marched back up to the caves. In the weeks he had hidden there, he had made the caves his home. He removed the stones from the floor and stacked them to create a fire pit in the middle. He hunted deer for meat and pelts. The deer pelts were made into a bed for him to sleep, and sharpened spears lay against the walls across from the fire. David meticulously tended to the fire, listening to it crackle and pop. He enjoyed some fish from the nearby river and honeycomb. His belly was full and his heart was content. He leaned back and gazed at the flickering flame swaying back and forth. Just as David was about to fall asleep, he heard footsteps approaching the entrance to the cave. He drew his sword and leapt to his feet. A figure was silhouetted at the mouth of the cave.
7: Who goes there?
6: David shouted. His voice was carried by the cave walls, shaking a few of the loose stones.
7: Do not take another step!
6: The figure raised his hands, and nine more stepped forward behind him. David widened his stance and raised his sword. He was outnumbered ten to one, but he did not mind those odds. He knew the Lord was with him. David drew a deep breath and darted forward with force. He gave a deep battle cry and drew his sword back and prepared to deliver the first blow. The shadowy figures ahead of him ran back and yelled with their hands up.
3: No, David! No,
6: it is us. They yelled. David halted his advance and looked. The sun's rays behind them had hidden their faces, but now David could see who was standing before him. A woman stepped forward from the group. Her gray curls fell out of her head covering. Her gentle gaze and soft smile was unmistakable. David was standing in front of his mother. David dropped his sword and ran to her arms. He cried on her shoulders, embracing her as if she had been risen from the dead. Behind her was his father, his brothers, and his sisters.
7: What, what are you doing here?
6: David asked, wiping tears away from his eyes.
7: It is not safe for you to be with me.
6: You must go home. David's mother held his face.
5: My child,
6: she said with a gentle voice.
5: Saul's hand was heavy upon us as he searched for you. We fled from his wrath.
6: David looked at the rest of his family. His father and brothers held their heads low in shame. They, more than anyone, had glorified Saul. Oh, how it must have hurt to be exiled by him. David's blood began to boil with anger against the king. He had gone beyond seeking his own life and sought to harm his family. David tightened his grip and furrowed his brow. Did he hurt any of you? He asked with rage building up in his voice. Jesse, his father, stepped forward.
1: He threatened our lives, but we escaped before he could follow through with his words. Your friend Jonathan told us where we could find you. Apparently, he's been keeping watch over you.
6: David's heart was glad to hear Jonathan had been watching over him from afar. However, that meant that David was not as hidden as he would have liked to be. If his family could find him, so could others. He picked up his sword and turned to his brothers. Did you bring any weapons? He asked with authority. His brothers, already used to following their younger brother as a commander, stood at attention and nodded. Good. You may need them.
7: You may not be able to stay here with me long but while you are here, I vow to protect
6: you. He led them into the cave and welcomed them. It is not much, but
7: I have made it my home.
6: His family entered in and sat with him. They spoke about the state of the kingdom, the king's threats, and rumors of civil unrest.
9: Everyone is wondering where you are, David.
6: Eliab said.
9: The king's armies have been mumbling about your whereabouts. Some are loyal to Saul, but others refer to you as their real king.
6: Shama nodded warming his hands nervously next to David.
9: You have caused a great stirring in our country, baby brother. The elders are not sure what to do. The king has asked for your head, but many would rather his head be taken instead. David
6: could not help but feel uneasy about his brother's loyalty. They had spent all his life rejecting him. It was hard for him to believe they had not thought about turning him into Saul. David looked across the fire to his father. Jesse was slumped over and silent. He wore the despondent face of a man who had just lost everything.
7: Does he hate me even more than he did before?
6: David thought to himself. He leaned over and gazed at him. And what do you say, Father? Jesse looked up. His eyes were weary and impassive. With a glazed-over stare and a monotone voice, Jesse replied, saying,
1: It no longer matters what I think, David. I've been wrong about so many things. I've lost the right to speak with authority.
6: He turned away. His stoic demeanor was breaking, and David could see anguish leaking through the cracks. Jesse had labeled David as the forgotten son, whose only value was in tending sheep and delivering supplies. However, his youngest son had become a figure of hope for the people of Israel. Even in exile, the name of David cast out fear. As long as he was still alive, the people knew they had a deliverer. It pained Jesse that he had rejected his son and cast him aside. David stood to his feet. Follow me, he said sternly. Jesse followed him out of the cave and down to the stream leading to the valley of Allah. The two of them watched the stream wind around the valley and retreat into the trees. David knelt down and dipped his hand in the stream. He retrieved a smooth stone and held it in his palm. This is where I faced him, David said. This
7: is where I retrieved the stone I slew Goliath with. I prayed to the Lord that my aim would be true.
6: He placed the stone in Jesse's hands.
7: You made me a shepherd. You gave me the responsibility to protect and nurture the sheep of your pasture. All I am, I owe to the time spent with our sheep. It is the Shepherd's heart that led me to face the giant
6: David placed a hand on his shoulder and smiled Jesse looked at the valley then at his son he had not noticed before but David had now grown to be taller than him he embraced his son as a loving father for the first time in his life the two of them left back to the caves walking shoulder to shoulder as equals the next morning David and his brothers went down to the forest to hunt. He waited quietly, listening for the sound of snapping twigs or stirring leaves. The air was cool and crisp, and David could see his own breath. The morning fog settled low among the trees, making it difficult to see more than twenty yards ahead. David heard a sound in the distance and placed an arrow in the bow he fashioned from a cypress tree. A blurred figure of a deer came into focus slowly. David breathed in deeply and pulled back his bow. He exhaled and released the arrow through the fog and directly on target. He secured his bow on his back and began to run towards the deer, lest it regain strength and run away. Just as he was about to kill the deer and bring it home, he heard one of his brothers crying out from a distance. David! He heard a Benadab shout. David turned around and immediately sprinted towards his brother's voice. He stopped when he saw Abinadab with his sword drawn and pointed at the throat of a man pressed against a tree. David drew his sword and approached the two of them. He held out his sword beside his brothers. The man was tall and wore tattered clothing with a leather breastplate over his chest. His face was dirty and unfazed by the two swords pointed at him. David took notice of this. He was clearly a man who had seen many battles to be unrattled by two swords only a few inches from his throat. Who are you? he said to the stranger. David took notice that the man had a sword strapped to his side, but did not draw it against Abedadab. With his hands raised, the man bowed his head slightly and said, My
10: name is Jashabim, my lord, and I am here as a humble servant.
6: David was not convinced so easily. He did not lower his sword or remove his eyes from the man's hands.
7: What do you mean, and how did you find me here?
6: he asked. Joshua Beam held his head low as if he was bowing to David.
10: I am no longer a man of Saul, if that is what you are wondering.
6: He said frankly,
10: I have been cast out of Israel and disgraced. I could not pay the debts of my deceased father, so everything was taken from me. I used to be a warrior for the army of Saul. Now, I am an outcast.
6: He looked up with a fiery gaze at David. His voice began to tremble as he beat his hand against his chest.
10: I heard whispers that David the giant slayer was exiled and hiding in the caves of Adullam. So here I am. I am here to give my life as your servant, to protect you from the grip of Saul or any harm that may befall you.
6: Joshua then fell to his knees with his face down into the dirt.
10: Lord David, you are the hope of Israel, and it would be my honor to fight by your side for the heart of our people. Abinadab leaned over to David and whispered,
9: "'Are you sure he can be trusted? "'Look at him. "'He has tattered clothes and a haggard beard. "'He looks like a man in desperation.
1: "'Who knows what he would do?
9: "'He may take what we have and leave.'
6: "'David lowered his sword and sheathed it. "'Of course I trust him,' David said. "'He bent his knees down to Joshua "'and placed a hand on his shoulder.
7: "'The Lord does not see as man sees.' Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart.
6: He turned up to his brother. You of all people should understand that. He helped Joshua beam up to his feet and brushed the dirt off his knees.
7: Are you hungry? I drove an arrow through a
6: deer. We must see if it is still where I left it. So the three of them found the deer and brought it back to the cave. As the family ate, David and Joshua beam chopped wood and continued to tend to the fire. David took great care to notice the servant's heart of his new friend. While others were content to be served, Joshua Beam desired to serve. David smiled, excited to have someone else by his side who understood the true heart of God. Days went by and David and Joshua Beam had worked together to create a stronghold in the caves. They secured the entrance with sharpened stakes and mapped out the entire perimeter. One morning, when they were marking stones on the outskirts of the caves, a man approached with his family behind him. David and Joshua Beam were cautious when approaching him. Where do you come from? David asked. Who do you serve? He was a younger man, with a wife and child standing at a distance. He was shorter than David, but broader in his shoulders. A sword was strapped to his side, with a Hebrew seal on the hilt.
9: I am Eleazar, the young man said. My family and I are on the run from my wife's father. He is a harsh man and was going to kill us for crimes we did not commit. What tribe are you from?
6: Joshua be masked.
9: Benjamin. The tribal leaders refused to hear our pleas for sanctuary, and the king would not see me either, even though I am his fellow tribesman. We are all alone.
6: Not anymore. David said while he put his sword away. He walked up with his arm outstretched.
9: I am David, son of Jesse. We know who you are, my lord. We have searched for you since we heard of your exile. We knew there would be no safer place than by your side.
6: Eliezer gestured for his wife and child to come over. David knelt down to greet the young boy and looked up at Eliezer.
7: We have plenty of room for you. However, I cannot guarantee your safety. Saul has been looking for me for quite some time. And if you have found me, that means he may not be far behind.
6: Eliezer bowed a knee and took out his sword. He drove his sword into the dirt in front of him and bowed his head.
9: We are at your service, mighty David. My arm, my sword, and my loyalty are yours. Whatever danger may come, we would like to be beside the true king of Israel.
6: David was embarrassed by Eliezer's gesture. Please, friend, do not bow to me. I'm no king. Stand and join us as brothers we will see what the Lord may do. It was not long until other men with their families caught wind of David's whereabouts. Everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Men of great strength and bravery, who had been disinherited by the ranks of Saul, found refuge beside David. They were men like David, Eleazar, and Joshua. Men who had found themselves alone, downtrodden, and in need of a family so david took them in he gave them hope and a purpose among the caves it was not long before david found himself as a commander of over 400 men men of courage and strength of heart this was david's new flock a flock of misfits and social outcasts the broken were given purpose under david's command
5: are you ready to take charge of your health journey
6: David sat on the mountain above the caves, looking out at the sunset. He looked down to see his new flock preparing for the evening. Men tended to the fires as children were tucked into bed by their mothers. David wondered what God's purpose for them was. There were enough men for a small army, but they were not an army. They were strong enough to take hold of a small town, but they were not raiders. What was the Lord's plan for them? David sighed and laid back, watching the sunset tuck itself behind the hills, giving way for the stars to slowly reveal themselves. The evening breeze flew by David's face. He closed his eyes, remembering simpler times beside his flock. He loved tending to his sheep. To him, shepherding the flock was always filled with purpose. Now, in the caves of Adullam, he felt a similar purpose. He would protect this flock and lead them just as he had before.
9: We cannot remain hidden for long,
6: Shama said to David. Saul's eyes are everywhere. Joshua Beam and Eleazar were also beside David. The three of them had become his most trusted companions. Shama was a young man filled with the heart of a defender. David particularly loved his ability to stand up against the rest of the men when they were treating each other poorly. He was the voice of love, and David loved him dearly. What shall we do then? David asked. There are
10: not many places we can go that are as hidden as these caves. Why hide any more at all? Joshua Beam asked. We are large and strong enough to defend ourselves. Defend
9: ourselves from Saul's army? Eleazar retorted. We may be large in number, but his men outnumber us fifteen to one. I don't mind those odds. Joshua Beam <laughs> laughed.
6: David was silent and pondering the situation. They had nearly outgrown the caves, and more people were being added to their number each week. Many men had fled the armies of Saul to seek out David. However, the Lord had been gracious enough to still keep his whereabouts hidden from the king. He did not want to test that grace for much longer.
7: I fear that battle will become inevitable,
6: David said.
7: I do not want to fight the king. He is still God's anointed and the one chosen to lead Israel for now. We will not harm him.
6: Do you understand? The men agreed reluctantly. David looked over to see his mother, father, and sisters weaving baskets and sewing tents. Whatever happens,
7: I do not want my family harmed. I need to find them a safe haven. Will you send them back to Bethlehem?
6: Shema asked. No. David said.
7: No doubt Saul's men are still laying in wait for them. Moab is not far from here. I will take them there. My great-grandmother, Ruth, was a Moabite. Surely they will not be refused there. We will go with you, Joshua
6: Beam said.
10: The roads may be treacherous, and Saul's men may be patrolling. You will need help.
6: David bowed his head and held back tears. He did not feel worthy of such loyal friends. They made him miss Jonathan. He looked up and nodded. Very well. We will take them before sunrise tomorrow.
7: That way we will still have some dark covering for part of the journey.
6: Meanwhile, that night, in his tent on the hills of Moab, the prophet Gad sat underneath the stars. His eyes were upward, looking at the heavens peeking through the top of his tent. Incense burned all around him as he meditated on the thoughts and intents of God. He searched for the gentle prompting of God's Spirit. He waited in silence, listening for the Lord's voice to speak. Then... Like a gentle whisper carried by the breeze, he heard the Lord speak. Gad closed his eyes and furrowed his brow, doing his best to listen. The voice was faint, but unmistakable. God had given him very clear words. He opened his eyes, stood to his feet, and made his way down the hill. He needed to find David the giant slayer. That morning... David, Jashubim, Shammah, and Eleazar escorted David's family to Moab. They traveled in a close group, with David's men securing the front and back of the caravan. David marched beside his mother, who was riding on a donkey. He would not allow anything to happen to her. They were five miles away from the kingdom of Moab, people who were historically hostile towards the Israelites. However, the name of David held weight with the king of Moab. He had spared him once in battle. His hope was that his past mercy would be remembered along with his Moabite ancestry. Eleazar. David commanded. Eleazar jogged over to David and walked beside him.
7: I need you to reach the palace of the Moabite king unseen. Tell him David the giant slayer is coming, seeking sanctuary for his mother and father. If you run ahead now, you may be able to return to me
6: before we arrive.
9: At your word,
6: Eleazar said, so he ran ahead to deliver the message to the king. Eleazar was able to sneak past the borders undetected. He weaved through the busy streets and made his way to the palace. The king's guard was marching around the walls of the palace, on the lookout for any intruders. Eleazar looked to his left and saw a group of horses being corralled into the king's stables. He walked over to the group of servants and began tending to the horses as if he was one of them. With the other servants, he was able to walk through the gates without a second look. He was in. Now, all he had to do was find the king. Eleazar walked behind the stables and entered in through a window of the bakery. The servants were startled at the sight of him. Eleazar held his finger to his mouth and smiled.
9: I am a friend, he whispered. I need one of you to get the king for me. I mean no harm. I come with a message from an old friend.
6: Instead of the king... The servants retrieved the guards. However, this is what Eleazar wanted. When they entered the bakery, he held up his hands in surrender. I
9: mean no harm. Take me if you must.
6: They bound him in ropes and took him to the king. Eleazar was thrown to the ground in front of the throne. He looked up to see the king of Moab sitting above him. The king was a larger man with a round face and finely trimmed beard. He wore no crown on his head. Instead, He wore a royal necklace around his neck. Shields covered in hardened leather covered the wall behind his throne. The king leaned over and said,
8: Speak quickly about your intentions before I have your head removed from your
6: shoulders. A gulped and smiled. He could tell the king was serious.
9: I come on behalf of David, the giant slayer, he said. He seeks out a sanctuary for his mother and father. King Saul seeks to harm them.
8: Why would you sneak past my borders and into my palace to tell me this? Why wouldn't David simply come himself?
9: He is coming, my lord. However, any place David goes, he risks being seen by those loyal to Saul. He needs to come in secret, so he sent me in first to seek your favor.
8: I see. The king said. David was once merciful to me and my men. I owe him a great debt. However, I have no debt to his family.
9: His father's grandmother was a Moabite, Eliezer replied. Perhaps you could show kindness to those who share your noble Moabite blood. The king was silent for a moment, then gestured to his
6: men. He spoke in a language Eliezer could not recognize. It made him nervous. One of the guards approached him with a dagger. He tensed, prepared to fight whatever attack may come. However, the guards simply cut the ropes that bound him. The king stood to his feet.
8: Go and tell your master that I will welcome him and his family. My men will follow you out to him and escort him and his family in secret. A feast will be ready when you return.
6: Leazar bowed to the king and thanked him. He and the guards met David two miles outside the city, and all of them were escorted secretly back to the palace. David came before the king, and the two of them embraced. Thank you, he said. I do not know what the Lord has for me,
7: whether it be life or death. It is comforting to know my family will be taken care of.
8: My debt is repaid.
7: The king
6: said,
8: "If one of your men ever sneaks past my borders again, I will kill them."
6: Eliezer's <laughs> eyes widened when he heard his words, and he nearly <clears throat> choked on his food. Joshua Beam patted him <laughs> on the back and laughed. David smiled and bowed his head to the king. Then Eleazar, Joshua, Beam, and Shammah left with him back to the caves. The four men traveled from Moab back towards the caves of Adullam. It was a day's journey, and the men stopped to make camp in the hills beside the road. They sat beside the fire, resting their sore legs. Eleazar was fast asleep from the stress of the day. David was proud of him for being so willing to risk his life. The men tucked themselves in, leaving Shama to keep watch for the first part of the night. Shama laid his back against a stone and began to clean his blade. Shama looked up from his blade to see an old man sitting across the fire. Shama stumbled back and raised his sword. Wake up! David, Joshobim, ah. and Eleazar. startled awake and drew their swords. The man was unfazed by their swords. He simply stretched out his hands, gesturing for the men to have a seat.
1: Please... Do not fear me, David. I am Gad. I have come with a word from the Lord.
6: David sheathed his sword and sat down slowly. Shammah remained standing, wondering how the man had stuck up on him without a sound. The old man leaned over and warmed his hands by the fire. He looked up at David and said,
1: You must not remain in the stronghold with your men. The caves are no longer safe for you.
6: He said,
7: Has Saul discovered
6: where we are? David asked, The prophet did not answer his question directly. He took his staff in his hands and stood to his feet.
1: You must escape to the land of Judah. Remain there, and the Lord will show you what is next.
6: David bowed to the prophet. Thank you. He said reverently. I will do as the Lord
7: asked. Thank you for being faithful to him.
6: The old prophet smiled and turned his back to the men. He walked into the darkness of night. So David and his companions returned to the caves of Adullam. He told the rest of them what the prophet had told them. So they packed their things and departed into the land of Judah. They remained on the outskirts of any town or city. Eventually, they found the forest of Harath. They made a home for themselves there. They pitched tents, built barriers, and established hunting trails. It did not take long for David and his men to become an organized militia ready to move and act at a moment's notice. They would need to be prepared. Soon the Lord would call upon them.
7: Filthy dogs, all of you!
6: Saul yelled with spear-waving. He paced in front of the tamarisk tree, with his servants and some of the elders bowing before him.
7: All this time, that peasant son of a farmer has had you wrapped around his finger! He has you all conspiring against me!
6: Saul was raging, preparing his spear to be thrown at the next servant who said a word. He rolled his neck back in agitation and swung his spear at a nearby branch. He whacked the branch relentlessly until it broke from the tree. Saul yelled like a beast towards his servants and pointed his spear at them.
7: Will the son of Jesse give every one of you lush fields and fruitful vineyards, eh? Is he going to make you all rich with gold and silver? Has he promised to make you commanders of thousands, so you may ride with
6: him in glory? One of the elders was trembling on his knees. He spoke up,
1: saying, We have done no such thing, my king. We are loyal to you.
6: King Saul picked the man up by his cloak and pressed him up against the tree. Saul's massive arms held him up off the ground. Loyal.
7: Do not lie to me. If you are all so loyal... Then why did you not tell me that my son has stirred up a rebellion against me in the name of David?
6: The elder winced in fear at the king. Jonathan had done no such thing, but the paranoia of Saul had ascended to new heights. He was blind with jealous rage against David, and his delusions of conspiracy grew more and more elaborate by the day. Saul lifted the tip of the spear to the man's throat.
7: I have gotten. More than four hundred men have joined his ranks. You mean to tell me he has done so alone? Is there not one more loyal servant among me? Have you all been deceived by the boy?
3: You have one servant who has put himself to
6: use, a voice said from behind the crowd. The men parted to make way for Doeg the Idiomite. He was a long and dark man with robes that fell loosely over his thin frame. His thin face was serpent-like, and there was cunning in his eyes. He entered in with a smug smile and cocky demeanor, and gave Saul an exaggerated bow. My gracious king, I am aware of the co-conspirators of David. Saul released the elder from his grip and (sighs) smiled. Uh,
7: It is about time someone
6: brought me good news. Go on. Doeg smiled and bowed again.
3: I've just returned from Nob with word about David's whereabouts. I saw the son of Jesse go into the temple to visit a certain priest named Ahimelech. There he was given provisions, food, fire, and a weapon. Not just any weapon, my king, but the cursed Philistine sword of Goliath.
6: Saul's eyes sharpened. He stroked his beard and gripped his spear even tighter. So,
7: David even has the priests conspiring against me. He thinks he can move the hand of God against me. Those false prophets will meet swift, Justice. Bring them to me.
6: Saul beckoned his officers over.
7: Bring Ahimelech and the priests of Nob to me in chains. He ordered. I I will interrogate them myself.
6: The men did as they were told and ventured to Nob to retrieve Ahimelech and his priests. Late that very night, Ahimelech and his students were brought to the throne room of the king. Fire raged in the center of the dark room, and the unhinged king Saul loomed over them like a coming storm. The king tapped on the side of his throne. Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, he said with a scowl. Yes, my king, I am here, Ahimelech said with the bruised and beaten face. The king's men had dealt with him harshly, and drug him and his priests out in the dead of night. He fumbled with his words, trembling in fear. He did not know why he had been taken, or what fate awaited him. Saul leaned over with his spear still in his hand. His eyes were dark, acting as windows into his tormented soul.
7: Why have you gone and conspired against me? You gave aid to the son of Jesse. You gave him provisions, shelter, and weaponry, when you know full well he is a known enemy
1: of Israel.
6: The king's words came as a shock to Bohemelech. He shook his
1: head and pleaded his case. No, my king, I did not know. Who among your servants has been as faithful and well-known as David? He is your son-in-law and captain over your guard. The last I had heard, he was an esteemed member of your household." How was I supposed to know he was a fugitive when he came to me? Traitorous snake!
6: Saul snapped. Seek to
7: poison me and my men with lies. Any friend of David's is an enemy of Israel. You and all those under your care will die for your transgressions.
6: Saul stood to his feet and gestured to his men. Surround them. So his men gathered around Ahimelech and the priests of Nob with their swords drawn. Saul raised his hand in the air, calling for an execution.
7: Now all of Israel will know that I am the true king, and no man, priest, or peasant will betray me and live.
6: Saul said this and gave the signal for his men to kill Ahimelech and the priests. However, the men were still they did not move their swords or act on their king's command. They would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord.
7: What are you waiting for? Saul spat. Kill them! They are traitors!
6: The men continued to stand silently. They looked at one another, unwilling to commit an act of such cruelty. Saul teemed with anger. Worthless, he said to them. He turned to Doeg, the Edomite who was beside him.
7: "'You claim to be my loyal servant, yes?'
6: Doeg smiled and nodded. "'Prove it,' said Saul. He handed Doeg a sword and stepped down from his throne. He knelt down to Ahimelech and whispered in his ear, "'You may pray to
7: God, "'but I have found him to be a silent, and cold bystander. "'You will not answer
6: your prayers.'
7: You may cry out.
6: The only one listening will be me. Saul sat back on his throne and nodded for Doeg to begin. Doeg approached Ahimelech. Tears streamed down the priest's face. He closed his eyes and silently prayed. Doeg lifted his sword and it across his throat. The other priests tried to escape, but they had been bound in rope and chains. They were like animals led down a narrow path to the slaughter. Doeg, with evil joy in his eyes, cut through 85 of the priests of Nob. All who wore a linen ephod fell to the sword of Saul's depraved justice. Doeg laughed as blood covered the floor of the throne room. All except Ahimelech's son Abiathar were killed. Doeg swung down to kill Abiathar, but he turned to his side and the ropes were cut instead. Abiathar ran for his life, With the spear of Saul whistling past him and sticking to the wall, Abiathar jumped out the window and ran for the hills. Let him be, Saul said. He stepped down from his throne. His sandals dipped into the puddle of the priest's blood. He gave a disgusted look and wiped it off on one of the robes. He turned to Doeg.
7: I am not satisfied with just these men, he said. Rally as many like-minded men as you can. Loyal men, unlike the dogs who disobeyed me. Take them to Nob, and finish what you began here. Kill every man, woman, and child. Do not even spare the infants. (laughs) I will not sleep until you bring back word that every living creature in the small city of Nob has been dealt with.
6: The king's command slithered out from the darkest recesses of Saul's soul. In that moment, he became a tool of darkness and an enemy of God. Doeg and his army of deviants descended upon the small and defenseless city of Nob. Under orders from their own king, women and children were slaughtered. The Lord grieved over his slain children. However, justice would come to Saul. He would be taken off the throne, and a new king would be set in his place. Abiathar ran faster than he had ever run before. His lungs felt like they were made of iron as he crossed the hills and descended into the forest of Ereth. He could barely breathe, but he had to continue. He could not stop until he reached David. He had to tell him what had happened. Tears, blood and sweat covered his face. His robes were dirty and tattered, and his feet were bleeding from running all night. In the distance, Abiathar could see campfires scattered across several hundred yards.
9: This must be it,
6: he thought to himself. As he took a step forward, two spears were held up to his chest and throat. Two men who were on watch stopped him. Why are you here, stranger? One of them said. Abiathar gulped and held up his hands. He was winded from running and needed water. He felt faint and nervous. He managed to mumble out an answer. P-
9: "Please," he said desperately. "I, uh, I need to speak to d- David." "What makes you think David is here?" the man asked. "Leave and tell whoever sent you that there is no David here."
6: Abiathar shook his head.
9: "No, please, listen. I am not a spy. I am the son of a Himalach, a priest of Nob." Saul has killed him and all the priests of Nob.
6: The young man fell to his knees and began to weep. The two men lowered their spears and looked at one another, clearly feeling guilty.
9: One of the men knelt down and smiled at the young priest. We apologize for frightening you. You must have come from a long way. Please, come with me. I will take you to David. I am Uriah the Hittite. It would be an honor to carry you to our camp and make you a meal.
6: Abiathar looked up at Uriah. He had a warm smile and calm demeanor. He accepted his offer, so Uriah picked him up and carried him to a warm fire. He fetched some stew from a hot kettle and gave it to him. Wait here,
9: I shall find David for you.
6: Abiathar nodded in thanks. He sipped his stew and stared blankly at the fire. His mind wandered. All he could think about was the bloodstained floors and looking up to see Saul's deranged eyes. Abiathar? David asked. The young priest looked behind him. David was standing over him with a
9: concerned expression. David! He yelled. David, he has killed them. He has killed them all. I watched the sword sink into my father's throat. David held
6: the young boy in his arms as he wept. He closed his eyes and hugged him tight. I am so sorry, Abiathar. David whispered.
7: This should never have happened.
6: David could barely contain his grief. He lied to Ahimelech and put him in danger by visiting him. Saul killed them for helping him, and they helped him because of his deceit. David knelt down to the young boy and looked him in the eyes. This is my fault,
7: Abiathar. Do you understand? My sins caused this, and I promise that I will make up for them. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. The soul will come after you eventually, but rest assured, if anyone dares try to harm you, I will kill them myself.
6: Abiathar fell back into David's arms and wept some more. David looked up at the dark skies. There were no stars, only cloud covering. A storm was approaching. As the heavens stirred up and began to rumble, so did the righteous anger in David's heart the warrior heart in him was slowly awakening.
5: Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world.
3: to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime Annual Plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
2: These men were not chosen for their wisdom, influence, or skill. In many ways, they were outcasts. Each of them had gifts, and each of them had flaws. They were imperfect vessels chosen by God to do mighty works. God chose them for their hearts and also their weaknesses. For in their weaknesses, God is shown to be strong. What a beautiful way to describe the 12 disciples as well as the men joining the ranks of David. God loves to pick his heroes from unassuming places, and the caves of Adullam certainly fit that description. The beginning of this episode is meant to show us that David has found inner peace in the wilderness. The place that was supposed to be a death sentence turned out to be a refuge. God has a beautiful way of flipping bad circumstances upside down. He has reconciled with God and found serenity in his presence. Psalm 57 is sung, and we are given a sigh of relief to know David's mind has been quieted by God's Spirit. Now that David has found peace, people begin to flock to him. This is an important theme in this episode. People gravitate toward secure leaders. Compare the mind of David to the mind of Saul. The mad king is losing loyal followers each day, but David is gaining them each day. People want a leader who inspires them and puts their wandering spirits at ease. Leaders who aren't sober are leaders who aren't inspiring. The first to search for David in the wilderness is his family. The king's threats have driven them out of Bethlehem so they find David for refuge. There is an interesting irony in this scene. David is technically the reason they are being cast out, but they don't seem bitter about it. Instead, Jesse in particular feels ashamed. He was not a good father to his youngest son, therefore does not feel like he owes him anything. David, however, embraces his family and forgives them. A tender and intimate moment between the father and son is shared by the brook. David forgives Jesse and acknowledges the important role he played in his life. Our hero is able to forgive his father and step even closer toward his destiny. This is a deeply important scene. Many people, like David, carry some sort of wound inflicted by their parents. Giving these wounds to the Lord so he can heal you and forgiving your parents will help you step forward into your calling. It is not an easy process, but bitterness is a heavy weight that can keep us from running the race well. God wants to give you and I the same peace that he gave David. And like David, he may want to use you and I to heal our parents as well. After David's family finds him, more come to join the party we're introduced to some unique characters. Jashabim, Eliezer, Uriah, don't forget his name, and Jemiah are a few names specifically. Hundreds of people flock to David, men and families that were cast aside, driven out, and forgotten. An army of outcasts is formed, and David welcomes them all with love and dignity. There was a moment when David's family protested against trusting Jashabim. And David reminded them that the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He turned up to his brother. You of all people should understand that. David would not have been chosen if Samuel did not look with God's eyes. It would be easy for David, now more prominent and successful, to be more choosy with his followers. But he did not want to fall into hypocrisy by judging people by their outward appearance and circumstances. He looked at the heart, and many men with noble hearts flocked to him. The individuals we meet in this episode become some of the renowned mighty men of valor, David's most trusted friends and warriors. This brotherhood would stick with David for the rest of their lives and secure themselves in the annals of history. There's a sweet scene in the episode where David's friends help him get his family to Moab. David has engendered loyalty in them in just a short amount of time. He has also gained the loyalty of the king of Moab. David makes more allies than enemies, a mark of a great leader. The same cannot be said of Saul. The episode begins with a lot of feel-good scenes and lighthearted victories. However, it takes a dark turn when we are sent back to Saul's palace. The paranoid king has descended even further into madness. Rumors have spread about David's new army of outcasts, and Saul attributes it to betrayal. It's ironic. Saul is the one pushing people away, and they go to David, therefore making him the author of his own ruin. Like many narcissists trapped in delusion, Saul blames others for the problems he created. He blames his soldiers for being lazy, his son for conspiring against him, and the priest of Nob for helping his enemy. At this point, we enter one of the darkest moments of our series yet. It is a brutal scene. Saul, consumed with jealous rage, tells his soldiers to execute the priest of Nob for helping David. They refuse, so Saul has Doug do it. Saul is losing the loyalty of his soldiers for good reasons. Why did Saul kill the priest of Nob? The answer may not be as obvious as it seems. On the surface, Saul is simply executing people he perceives as guilty of treason but this is not really why he kills them. He kills the priest to spite God. It is the same reason Cain killed Abel. When people are lost in self-pity and bitter against God, they lash out at innocence. We have seen many tragedies in our culture, tragedies that shake us to our very core. We've seen shootings, abandonment of children, and other horrifically evil events take place. When we are faced with such cruelty, it can leave us asking why. Why would someone do something so horrific? What would drive someone to such evil acts? The answer is complicated and can't fully be answered here, but these stories in Scripture give us glimpses into human nature so we can understand better. When people are angry with God or uneasy with life, they tend to lash out at those who are the most innocent. It is a desperate and deranged grasp at control over God. This is what Saul does here. His slaughter of the priest is a statement of war against the Lord. The Lord will respond. He will send his hero. We can't end this episode without addressing David's role in this tragedy. Even though Saul is the one to commit this hideous act, David is not blameless. If he hadn't lied in the last episode, then perhaps this would have never happened. This is an important theme we see in Scripture. Lies have unseen ripple effects. There's no way of predicting how our dishonesty can affect the future. God created the world by speaking truth. He said, let there be light. And there was light. This means the world was created through the speaking of truth. So lies, in a way, are a process of decreation, where truth builds, lies destroy. When we lie, even for good reason, there can be unforeseen consequences. In our last episode, we talked about the moral ambiguity of David's lie. This story reminds us that even if we lie for good reasons, lying can still alter the course of our stories for the worse. The story ends with Abathar escaping Saul to tell David about what happened. Something happens to David at this moment. David's righteous anger is awakened. We saw what happened when his anger was kindled against Goliath. What will we see next? Join us next time as David's brotherhood of misfits grows stronger and more determined. We will see how mighty they are in Episode 11, An Army of Outcasts, Part 2. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. If you've been enjoying this series, please write a review and let me know how this podcast has impacted your life.
5: Are you ready to take charge of your health journey?